0: We are continuing in our sermon series on the gospel. And uh, today we're looking at one component of the gospel, and that's salvation. It's the one that uh, most people believe that the gospel is for, to give us salvation. But as we've learned, it's much broader than that. We have uh, 10 different messages on the gospel. And uh, so I want to look at particularly what are we saved to, but also what are we saved from today. I don't know if you've uh, ever had children at home and you, as maybe a husband or wife, decide to go on a trip and leave the kids to their own devices when they're a little older, uh, you know, teenagers, that kind of stuff, and they can self-manage for the most part. So Kim and I, we were on a, uh, I think a weekend away or maybe a little bit longer than that, and we stocked up the refrigerator with lots of food, like sandwich meats and cheeses and all sorts of things. So my kids didn't have to really look that far for, for sustenance while we were gone. Well, we came back uh, a few days later. It was probably close to a week that we, uh, we were gone. And, um, you know, hardly anything that we had left in the refrigerator was actually eaten. In fact, the meat had turned various shades of green and blue. And the things that were left in containers were quite fuzzy. Um, some things we couldn't quite even remember what They were. I think we lost around $30 of perfectly good healthy food that had become rotten and had to be thrown away. Wasn't very pleased with my boys. I'm not even sure what they ate. Probably cereal every day. I think three times a day kind of a thing. Whatever's the easiest is what they ended up eating. We all know that when you buy a product, um, they're typically fresh products, uh, meats, cheese, vegetables, you know, they're all perishable. uh, But even on aspirins and other kinds of things, they have a best before date. And uh, um, if you don't use the product before the best before date, or before it begins to perish, uh, you're just going to have to throw it away. It becomes less effective, less tasty, fuzzy, uh, gross. Uh, You know, anything that's hard as a vegetable turns soft, and anything that's soft turns hard. It's just like the opposites, and you just... You waste things if you don't mind the best before date. I, my, my youngest son is a nurse, and uh, whenever he says, do we have any Tylenol, do we have any Motrin, do we have any whatever? And he says, yeah, it's in the medicine cabinet. I see him go there, and he looks at the best before dates. Every time. Just, just, of course, we have stuff from, you know, 2011 in there. And, <laughs> Dad, these are no good anymore. Going, well, they're probably okay. Just take more, you know. <laughs> What I realize when I'm studying the gospel is that God has created every person with the best before date. He is the only one that actually knows when the expiry date will happen. Now you can go down to the cemetery down the road, about six blocks down the road, and you can find a lot of people that have expired. They're buried. The word expire literally means to breathe out. Your breath is gone. And uh, you no longer are among the living. When we expire, our breath goes, and we're left to our own devices. We will, we will perish, like everything else on this earth is moving towards perishing. So God created us deliberately with uh, to be dependent upon Him for life and for breath and for true happiness, and He. He says in the scriptures that he offers abundant life to every person if we remain in him. Like the grape branches dependent upon the vine, we remain in him, we're attached to him, we're connected with God, we will have an amazing life that he has promised to us. But if we choose our own way, if we choose to live outside of his plans, we will also perish with no chance of redemption. But this is where the gospel comes in. The gospel means good news. The good news of salvation is that we will no longer have to perish as God's offer of salvation cancels the debt of sin. Our body will expire, but our soul will live on in his presence. That's good news. There's a way out. He, he cancels that expiry date and said, no way, it's not going to apply to those who have believed in my son. John three fourteen and following says, as Moses Lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the man, Son of Man must be lifted up, talking about the cross, so that what whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not, what? Would not perish, again, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And he who believes on him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. So I don't know. You probably have never experienced this, but I, on occasion, might have been perhaps stopped by a police officer as I was driving. (laughs) I just have lovely conversations with the police officers. And, you know, they, they, they come up to the car, if you've ever had this experience, and they typically tell you why they're pulling you over. Do you, do you realize that you were speeding? And, you know, what do you say? <laughs> oh, I had no idea. <laughs> yes, officer, I, I I know I was going too fast. And and then there's this moment after you kind of probably, like I mean, I typically just admit I was going too fast. And this isn't often, but it has happened in different countries. And <laughs> testing the limits as I go. Uh, and there's this moment between that the, the conversation of, do you know, understand why that you were speeding? You are going past the posted limit. There's this kind of a pause. And, and, and then there's, you move into the next stage. It's called the penalty phase. So we have a little conversation, and then we have, okay, so so what? What's, what's, what is, like, going to happen next? And more often than not, they say, you know, keep, keep, it, keep it down and, uh, you know, drive safely and have a good day. But there's also the option of, here's, uh, they go back to the car, you know, <laughs> whatever they do in the car, I think they're maybe having lunch, I don't know. But they're back in the car, they're looking up things, they're calling in, and then they come back to your, your window, and then you know, they, if they rip something out and hand it to you, you know you've got like 90 days to pay the fine. You're hoping it's not horrible, um, it's a reasonable kind of a fine. That's just a penalty for driving too fast. And it depends on how fast you're driving. I'm sorry, but you are very close to having your license taken away today. Uh, you know, and, and it can be pretty serious. When it comes to sin in the Bible, when it comes to what we've done in opposition to God or His, his principles, His rules, His values, if we go against God's ways, there's only one penalty for sin. And there's no negotiation. There's no, you know try harder next time, it'll be okay. There's only one result, one end with sin, and that is to perish, to be outside of God's presence and his heaven that he's created. James 1, 12 to 15 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation, and afterward they will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love him, And remember, when you are being tempted, don't say God is tempting me because God never tempts to do wrong. He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So when our life is in Christ, however, we're no longer under this power of sin. Christ dies for us and rose from the dead. He defeated death. And rather than death winning in the end, for those who have accepted Christ's gift of salvation is now the gateway to glory. Death is, is not to be feared. It's like you look forward to the day when you can be transitioned into God's presence and get to experience all that he has promised for those that love him. It's a, it's a grand reunion time for all of those that have gone before. he he removes the power of sin and the threat of sin and the pain, i sorry, the, the, the power of death and the, and the, the pain of death. It's all, it's all just uh, no longer has control. He rose from the dead and death was defeated at that moment. So the good news of salvation is that believing in Christ's sacrifice will save us from the penalty of sin, but it also can save us from the effects of sin. What, what effects am I talking about? Stuff like Self-destruction and spiritual bondage and isolation and guilt and darkness and deception and addiction and fear and anxiety and shame and brokenness, all of these things attend sin. I don't know if you've ever really messed up and you're embarrassed and you're ashamed and all of a sudden you can't look people in the eye, or maybe you you really messed up, you've lost your job, maybe you've really, really messed up and your marriage is ending. There's pain, there's suffering, there's, it's self-destruction. You get, then maybe you start drinking and maybe you get into the drugs. So all of these things that just spiral you down and down and down into darkness and into, into a pit of destruction. It's like, that's what sin does. That, that's the nature of sin. And, and Christ says, but it doesn't have to be that way. You can be freed from all of that. You can be pulled out of that spiral and your feet set on solid rock. 2 Peter three nine says, the Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some count slowness, but he is long-suffering towards us. He doesn't purpose that anyone should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. Repentance brings forgiveness. It brings restoration to relationships, which in turn brings new life. In Luke chapter 8, there's a couple of stories in a row. I'm just going to kind of summarize them a little bit for us, and then... And then uh, use them as our message. So in Luke chapter 8, uh, Jesus decides to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he's with his disciples in the boat. They're fishermen for the most part. At least four of them are. So they know maybe they borrowed Zebedee's boat, James and John's dad. And getting this boat and they go across to the Sea of Galilee to the other side where Jesus has an appointment with a man who's in trouble. Well, while they're on the the sea, apparently the the storm picks up, the wind kicks up, the clouds come in, and the waves start to be so enormous that the disciples are afraid for their life. Jesus, having taught most of the day, was fairly exhausted, and so he is sleeping um, in the boat. I've been in these boats in Israel, and there's not a lot of uh, coverage to them, and uh, he was probably pretty tired. So they wake him up, and they say, Master, uh, we are perishing. They didn't want to die. They thought the boat was going down, and there'd be no saving them. Jesus wakes up, rubs his eyes, and he basically rebukes the waves and the wind. The storm subsides. It's completely calm, and they continue on their journey to the other side of the lake. Well, first of all, they weren't perishing because Jesus was in the boat with them. (laughs) He was going to be okay. He was going to take care of things. And they, at this moment, it was one of those teachable moments because it says they were actually afraid of him at that moment. And they asked themselves, who is this man that can calm the storms? Well, as they get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, it's a a big lake, Um, they meet a man, and this is where I want to focus on. They met a man from the city who had demons, it says, in Luke 8, verse 27. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cries out, he falls down before him, and he says with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded, Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, and he was kept under guard at times and bound with chains and shackles, but he could break the bonds and be driven out by the demon into the desert. Nothing could constrain this possessed man. I won't continue on to the story except to say that in verse 35, when he was freed from this demon possession, the people in the village came out to see what happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man whom the demons had gone from, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, be with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. When I see the, the story of the man who was running around out of his mind, terrifying the villagers who would go by, compared to the man sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in, in his right mind and wanting to be a disciple... I can't think of uh, many other instances in the Scriptures where there's such a dramatic change. I thought, well, maybe Lazarus was dead in a tomb for three days and came out alive, and that would have been a huge change. But this, everybody saw this guy. Everybody was afraid of this guy, and Jesus encountered him, set him free, gave him his life back. And I think about... Satan, not wanting that appointment to happen. Maybe Satan is one that caused the storm, and maybe it was a distraction. Maybe it was to, to stop this man from being freed because Satan had him under his control. Satan was about to uh, bring this expiry date to bear on this man. He didn't probably have long yet to live, and Satan was about to get his way until Jesus showed up and changed everything. before the man was running around screaming naked dirty wild and out of control after he sat there clothed calm quiet and in his right mind the only difference was jesus so what does it mean to perish it means to die to be destroyed to have no hope no recourse it means to live separated from god forever no way back to him no purgatory to work out your sins no second chance it means when you when you expire You've made your choice before that time whether or not you're going to be in God's presence or you're going to be outside of His presence for the rest of eternity. The good news of salvation means that you, no one has to perish. No one has to be controlled by outside forces or has to live in spiritual bondage or destruction or isolation or guilt or darkness or deception or fear if they place their faith in Jesus. He's what makes the difference. No one has to be bound by lies or scars from the past, by trauma they've endured, by painful memories whose effects shape our thinking and our living. If we repent of our sins, if we turn to Jesus, place our life in his care, we can be set free and have salvation, not from the, only the penalty of sin, but the effects of sin. He can bring peace and wholeness and new life again into our hearts. Satan the deceiver wants you to be racked with guilt over your past sins. Satan, the liar, wants you to feel that you are unworthy of God's love. Satan, our adversary, wants you to live a defeated, powerless, directionless life. Christ wants to set you free. He wants you to get your joy back, to look forward to tomorrow instead of dreading it. What I've seen during my lifetime in ministry, what Satan likes to do is when he starts to play with somebody's mind, His ultimate goal is to destroy that person, whether through suicide or drugs or isolation or giving up on God. He's bent on the destruction of humanity. And Christ stops that process. The truth is, Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our sins from us. That means when God forgives us, he also forgets. He doesn't hold our past against us anymore. The truth is, John 8, 36, that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You don't have to be governed by any outside forces other than the Spirit of God who lives inside of you to give you the strength and the hope you need. The truth is, Acts 4, 12, that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by, among men that we must be saved. The good news of salvation is also that we can now experience the active presence of God in our life. I like the scriptures that say God makes his home with us. He takes up residence in our life and in our heart. He goes with us wherever we we are never alone again when we give our lives into his hands. Whereas we were perishing, now we are living. Though our bodies may expire, we are no longer going to, to perish because Christ in us is the hope of glory. Uh, I was a part of a ministry called Blackaby Ministries International some years ago, and they have a spiritual coaching uh, program that they, that they offer. And I went through the first uh, the year of the coaching, and it was fascinating to me because <clears throat> they believe in the presence, the active presence of the Holy Spirit. So the job of the spiritual coach is not to tell people what to do. The spiritual coach leads them into the presence of God and asks the Spirit of God to show us what's next, what needs to happen. Reveal what's on your heart. Show us the truth of the situation. That we don't respond with giving advice. We request that the Spirit of God guides us into every question that we ask to every response that's given. So we don't want to to tell the client uh, how to live their life or how to handle their circumstances. We want to guide them into the presence of God and let the Spirit of God reveal to them what he sees and allow the Spirit to guide them into all truth and show them the pathway they need to follow. It's life transforming to realize we have the active presence of the Spirit of God every step of the way. Every morning we get up. God, what do you have for me today? God, what's on your agenda for me today? What life do I need to walk alongside? What life do I need to encourage? What, what situation may I need to step into today to bring your joy and your peace and your hope where there isn't any? The good news of salvation also comes with responsibilities to God and to the law. So I see salvation as a two-sided coin. One is the privilege of salvation and one is the responsibility of salvation. The privileges that we we get to be free in Christ. We get to be born again with the presence of God in us. We, we get that abundant life that God promises and all the benefits that come with being a member of the kingdom of God. That's the privilege of salvation, but the responsibility is now that we get to live out our new faith in the world, sharing our knowledge of God and our testimony of how we were redeemed from having to be expiring and perishing we have the incredible opportunity to, uh, to uh, introduce other people to the one who gives life, the one who brings peace and forgiveness and restoration. We can introduce to others who are perishing to the one who can redeem them and change their best before date forever. Too often, though, we just like th- the privilege and we, we don't look too much into the responsibility. Whenever we look at those without Christ in their life, we can see clearly that regardless of how nice their car is, how big their house is, how many university degrees they have, how big their bank account is, that they are perishing a little more every day without Christ. There is no escaping perishing apart from Christ. There's no other religion that has the antidote to perishing. No amount of good works, no door or side deal will allow a person to avoid perishing. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many travel on it, says the Bible. I remember the first time I led someone to Christ as a young youth pastor. I remember praying. It's almost like, you actually do want to receive Christ? Like, really? For real? You want to pray right now? Yes, I want to be a Christian. And I prayed with them, and I, I kind of fist-bumped. And at the end, yes, you know, Satan, you lost another one. You know, another one in God's kingdom. And I, it was like I was, I was floating on air because I just realized the transformation that happened in the life of that teenager. They said yes to Jesus. They repented of sin. They confessed. They, they turned their life into his hands. And they were forever changed for all of eternity in that moment. What an exciting experience to have. You can't get enough of that. You can't. It's it's an amazing moment when someone leaves the power of darkness and enters the kingdom of God. If you only deal with the the privilege of salvation and not the the responsibilities, you miss out on some beautiful things in life. I, I want to tell you just a quick story about. A place in Norway, it wasn't too far from where I lived uh, where, when I was pastoring an international church. It's called Pulpit Rock. The uh, Norwegian name is Preka Stolen, and Preka means to preach. Stolen is like a stool or a, a, a bench kind of a thing. So the Pulpit Rock stands 600 meters above the water of Lisa Fjorden down below. And uh, it's almost a, a flat top of about 25 by 25 meters. It's a square uh, place that you can walk and have picnics. It takes you about eight kilometers to climb up this rock, and it's a change of about 500 meters from where you started the parking lot till you go up the backside of this mountain and you stand on that rock face. It was actually featured in Mission Impossible, I think the last one that they had. And uh, so we had a friend of ours from England had come to visit us in Norway and we said, let's go climb Pulpit Rock because we'd done it a few times before. It's a beautiful view, it was very stunning. Um, so Julie made her way. She didn't do a lot of hiking and the, this was not an easy hike, but it's manageable. And so two hours up, two hours down, but we got to the top. We were all huffing and puffing and sweating. We got our sandwiches out and I, I just kind of like to walk right up to the edge and go, whoa, <laughs> like, look at that. As far, and where was Julie? She was like against the back wall. She was, she was like back here. I don't know if the cameras will follow me or not. She was like back here. I go, Julie, the, the, the view is up there. And no, I'm okay. <laughs> Julie, you can't see the view from back there. And she says, No, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. And I thought, all of that effort, you can't even see the view. What a waste of two hours of trekking up the backside of a mountain. She was too afraid to walk for And I don't blame her necessarily. I, 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 I did construction. I used to walk on the top of two-by-four frame walls and stuff. So it didn't bother me so much. But I, I think the Christian life is like that sometimes. We're just... We're just content to stick against the back wall and not really step forward, not, not step into the challenge, step into the, the maybe the, the risk because we're, we're content in the back wall. We don't want to be put out to too far. There might be a risk. We might get rejected. We, we might lose a friendship. We might Whatever the excuse is, we don't want to step up and experience what God has asked for us to experience, to be a part of his team, to, to use the privilege And the responsibility of being a Christian. So the good news is that when we are saved from something, we are also saved to something. We're saved from the penalty of sin, but we're saved to new life in Christ. We're saved from bondage to sin, and we're saved to freedom in Christ. We're saved from isolation, and saved to being a part of a community of believers. Saved from deception and lies, And we're saved to the truth of Christ, saved from fear. And we're saved to the boldness of Christ, saved from weakness, saved to power in Christ. John 10.10, Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And I think abundant life is stepping up, living closer to the edge, taking a risk, being involved in God's activity so that lives can be transformed, not just standing against the back wall and watching the world go uh, 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 without us, just everything happening and we're just observers. Let's be participants. Is there anything in your life right now that is preventing you from experiencing the life God wants you to have? Are you holding on to something tightly that you need to maybe let go of so that God can come and fill you up? And do the transformation that needs to happen in you. Maybe you're still believing the lies and deception of Satan rather than the promises of God and Christ. Maybe you think you're not good enough. Maybe you you think you are too sinful for God to love you. God could never love someone like me. You don't know what I've done. Well, he does, and he's forgiven that if you will turn to him. He will set you free from the past. He wipes it clean. What is your calling and responsibility in God's kingdom? What is God's assignment for you? What part do you play in His story, in your family, in your church and community?